Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I am your host, Annie F. Downs, and I am really excited for you and I to be here together today with my friend, Liz Bahannon from Seiko Designs. I am not going to keep you long here in this intro because what Liz and I talk about is just incredible. I think you're going to love it. We've We've just never had a conversation like this on the podcast. So I want you to hear her and hear her thoughts, and then we will chat at the end, okay? So here is Liz. Liz, I have never, it is never in all my weeks of being a podcaster taken me that long. (laughs) To connect you know, with someone. It's because the universe had to prep. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, the Lord was like, I need them to have a little more time apart before I uh-huh. put them back together. Uh-huh. I'm not quite, I haven't had my third espresso shot yeah, that's yet. Right. But... <laughs> oh All my right. gosh. Um, you're in Portland. Yeah. How is Portland today? It's a dream. Just it's living I, the dream of the 90s, you know? Do you know um, John Mark Comer was on the show a couple of weeks ago and he said oh, Portland in the spring is the time to like spring, early summer is like the dream city. Dream. It's, I would say from like May to September, it's dream world. Sunny, cloudless, but very rarely over like 80 degrees. So it's like t-shirt and shorts, but don't sweat weather all the time. And that goes all summer? Yeah. It goes until like September or October. That's massively impressive. And then the rain comes. Right. I was about to say, and then what happens in September? Uh, you go to Uganda. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens. Like, where's that sweaty you, thing I was looking for? Peace out to the equator. Yeah, that's it's right. It's not cold, just rainy. It just rains all winter. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's kind of nice, though. Once you get used to it, you got to, one, get over the fact that you can't just not do stuff because it's raining. Right, which is what we do in Nashville. We just don't do if it rains. And that, you can't do that. You yeah. cannot do that. Um, and then you have to, yeah, that's it. You just have to get over it. You just have to get over it. How how long have you lived there? Six years, seven years, seven years, six years. Where did you come from? Where? Well, Annie, when a man (laughs) loves a um, I grew up in Missouri and lived there for a while and then I moved to East Africa and I was there for a while and then I moved back home and lived out of my car for about six months that's neat and then we moved to Portland okay when when did you marry Ben right when did you marry Ben in all this story so Ben and I started dating in college right kind of towards the end of college for both of us. We had been really good friends and I'll tell you my whole love story because you asked. No, I'm just I kidding. did. Go. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm into that. Go okay, there. Okay. Well, we met in college and we're really good friends. We led Young Life together. So we we're okay. on the same Young Life team um, and we're just really great friends. We were both pretty seriously dating other people. So we kind of had like a unique experience of getting to have like an actually really platonic relationship right where we really you had someone that you weren't platonic we had with. other people right exactly we had a non-platonic relationships mm-hmm. and then um we started dating we both um had ends with our respective non-platonic others and we started dating towards the end of college so at that point we had been friends for really good friends for about four years and then unfortunately we started dating and then ceased to ever live in the same country again sure. until we got married. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's one way to do it. Yeah. So he like moved to Australia and then 
came back to the U.S. And basically right after he came back to the U.S., I moved to East Africa. And literally our decision to get married was like, we either need to just be done or we right. should get married and start doing this together. And right. I obviously chose the latter. That's awesome. So did y'all live out of the car together? We did. Wow. Like the year we got married. Oh so gosh. tips of the trade, get married, launch a company, sell everything you own, don't have an income, live out of your car for six months. <laughs> in Portland or in Missouri? Are you living out of your car? Uh, well, we we started in Missouri and then we Well, I guess that's Missouri. true. It's portable. A portable home. It's portable. We went for the nature of a car yeah. all over the place. Yeah. So we started in Missouri and then went like started basically up to the Northwest and then went all the way down the coast and then traveled through the South and then kind of ended back. We actually ended in Uganda and we're in Uganda for a couple months and then had determined by the time we got home from our trip in Uganda, we were going to pick one of the places that we had been in the last six months to kind of go launch our company and start our new life together. We were fugitives in Missouri, which is why we had to leave. Are you lying? <laughs> Just kidding. We did get arrested on our first date, though. <gasps> what? Tell me that. <laughs> why am I telling you all this? Why wouldn't you tell me this? It's on the internet. Um, we went on a night adventure, which most normal people would call a date, but uh -huh. I wasn't really there yet. And it happened to be to a, a state park, and we happened to be there after dark, which happened to be illegal. <laughs> And yes, we climbed over a fence, but I wasn't aware that it was a criminal action to enjoy God's either. nature. Right. Anyway, long story short, someone called the cops on us. We got like interrogated. We got first degree trespassing. Almost someone got else arrested. called the cops on you? Like those two kids are climbing a fence. Right? Oh, that's yes, so annoying. Old curmudgeon -y man. So yeah, we, we got we got first degree trespassing tickets. We had to hire a Did lawyer. Did you like get put in handcuffs? No. Oh, he let funny. us go, but then we had a court date and we had to like, I mean, we had to hire a lawyer. My first oh date my cost gosh. like a thousand dollars. And by the way, we're all egalitarian and stuff. Right. So we went Dutch on the lawyer bill. <laughs> <laughs> that was the most expensive date That's of my life. the most expensive part so far. <laughs> and then we spent the next, our next like four dates were at the food bank where we were, we shoveled rotten potatoes together oh until we got separated laughing oh my gosh for laughing. when you're doing right. community service Don't so then help. the next four dates yeah we could just kind of wink at each other from across the oh my gosh so bank. your dates were doing community service yeah yeah it was, real, it was real romantic this is Off to a good start you're like a, you're like the continued version of that cop car song by keith urban like we fell in love in the back of a cop car, but then we also actually had a court date and had to do community service. We did. Yeah. Yeah. We have like a photo of us, I think, on our fifth date in front of the court, just showing up for a court date, oh you know. It really set the tone for our relationship, I feel. Sure, sure. I mean, we're pretty are. sure that it's gonna happen again. We actually every year on our anniversary, we are a little like, you know, we're most Couples like do something nice for each other. We try to do one teeny tiny illegal thing. <laughs> do you really? <laughs> something that doesn't get you put in the back of the car, but just may get you some community service. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Okay. exactly. It's a fine line. There's I won't like ask you to tell us more because I don't want this to be used in the court of law. This interview. I appreciate this conversation. That. I appreciate that <laughs> deeply. Thank you for having my best interest in mind. Annie. That's amazing. So how long have y'all been married now? Eight years. We just had our anniversary last week. So you did something mildly ago. illegal. It's fine. Yep. Um, eight years. And do you love being in Portland now? 
Like, does it feel like the city for y'all? I think it's the best city in America. Yeah. I feel that same way about Nashville, so I understand. I mean, really, I'm like, I think there's a thing happening, particularly in our generation, where there isn't quite the, like, stay home vibe as much anymore, stay where you grew up. I think a lot of great people, like, my very best friends all are in my hometown, and I love it. But there is kind of a, uh, outside of Atlanta, Marietta, Georgia. And, but there is a thing of, like, what city do I want to be a part of? For some of us, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. did you, do y'all feel that about Portland? Yeah, we do. And there's things about Portland. And I think the the further you get into a place, like we've exited out of the honeymoon stage, I think. And there's like, oh, there's serious parts of our city that are not great that we want to engage in. But it, that's the difference. It feels like it's not like not great. So let's get out of here. It's like not great, but we love this place and we love this city. So what does it look like? to be a part of those things. Yeah, that's right. But that being said, I still feel like for someone who, who is very, very incurably wanderlusty, I love that when I am like in an airport and I'm thinking if I had to go somewhere in America, I'm really glad it's port- like, I really am happy I'm getting on a plane to go to Portland. Oh, isn't that the best feeling? I love that about Nashville as well, of going like, this plane takes me to Nashville. I'm so happy. <laughs> and it's not just because like my stuff is there. But it's actually because I love Nashville. And our people are here. And we have a really great, I don't know if you know this, but I live on a commune. So I don't that's here wait what, tell me everything. <laughs> How do I not know this? I mean, I don't know. Wait, you y'all live on a commune out. like for real? I mean, we joke that it's a commune. My whole like extended family thinks it's a commune. They think I'm definitely either a socialist or a swinger, <laughs> which for the record, I am neither of those things. Yeah, yeah. But, let's put that on record for sure. Yeah. So, well, our friends and I, we basically bought a one like single family lot and then we built three tiny skinny houses on the same lot. So that's that's what we lovingly refer to as our little commune. Yeah. So we've got nine, we have nine people in between the three houses that all live together and share a backyard and nine adults or nine humans. We have Eight humans. Well, oh, that's so sad. I just, you I just, just turned your son into a one non-human. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, buddy. So there's eight uh, grown-ups and one baby. Eight grown-ups and one baby. Yeah. Okay. Across the three houses. What's the best thing about being that close to your people? Oh, everything. I truly, I know I, I could just go on and on. It changes everything about life, proximity. Specifically in this last season of my life being a new mom, I really believe my transition into parenthood has been so much different because of my community. Because it's just like you're constantly together without having to schedule being together. And there's just like what we ask of each other and what we're available for. Like, I'll give you this weekend, for example, my husband had to go out of town. So I was like solo parenting it, which can be like pretty stressful then this thing came up and this like event on Saturday for work that I really felt like I needed to go to that I was bummed out about, but I needed to go. And so I went to that and like two of my friends were just like, great, like we're already going to be at home, like leave Theo with us. That's great. So then like got home from the event, bring back Thai food, end up having like impromptu dinner with all of our friends in the backyard. The next day I get a text message from one of the guys that lives next door and he's like, Hey, you probably already know this, but the tire on your car is flat. Can I fix that for you? You know, and it's just like, that does not happen unless you live next to your best friends. Right. And, yeah. and he's going like, Oh, Ben's out of town. 
and Liz is alone with Theo, like, what does it look like for me to just, you know, play that? The, the, even if you have great friends, if they're not, if they don't walk out of their house and see your flat tire in the street, they can't, they can't step into those spaces. And I really believe that it's like those seemingly kind of micro spaces of just like real life that when we occupy those together, it just changes the fabric of relationships. And that's like where the good stuff happens. Um, okay, Liz. So we need to tell our friends listening <laughs> that the reason we sound different is not only are we using a different app on our phones, we're three weeks older than we were in the first 13 minutes we of We are. Podcast. I feel like so much has happened. I know. Life is so different. I had a birthday, so I literally am a year older than the last time we talked. Whoa. Well, happy belated birthday. And insane. it's fun to be talking to the mature, more right? seasoned version Thank of you, you than it was two minutes ago for our listeners. Um, okay. Let's, can we please pick up where we left off? Because you were talking about how y'all have, you and a couple of couples have decided to live in like a commune, but not really. <laughs> uh, commune, yes. Not really, but mostly. Yeah. And you love it. I remember, it's funny because the listeners are like, yeah, we just heard this. But you talked about how your tire was flat and one of the other husbands came out and helped. Yes. It's just these, like, you know, I think sometimes we think about these, like, huge sacrifices or act of, like, you know, love and commitment and living in community with each other. And while I think that those are brilliant and wonderful and meaningful and transformational, I think so much of building community is in these micro actions and in these micro kind of interactions and times of service and acknowledgement and just knowing. And, and to be completely frank, I don't know that that can happen without proximity. I think proximity and community is super important. It's like, you don't know that I'm running late with my one-year-old on the way out the door and I have a flat tire unless you live next door to me. Um, and then there's more fun things. That same guy we were actually joking about this weekend, I literally walked out of my back door and bumped into him. We physically ran into each other and he turns around and he has two margaritas in his hand and he's like, you want one of these? And I was like, community living is the best. Like, this is such a picture of why I want to keep doing these. All I right. literally ran into you and you turned around and handed me a really good margarita. Um, I, I really believe that that only happens when we're like actually in it. And probably on a less fun level, right, like the the rubbing and the tension and the disagreements and the like, we are actually wrapped up in this together. And so we have a stake in the same thing, which means like we're going to probably have to work some stuff out in a way that we wouldn't if we weren't having to make those decisions together. Not just Ben and I as a married couple kind of family unit, but trying to get nine adults on the same page about how we're going to spend our money or where we want to be generous with our time or our resources. Or, oh, do y'all share money too? Yeah. Well, yeah, to a degree, not like a full on, like everybody puts something in a common pot, but we definitely have some kind of agreed upon financial commitments to one another and to our community. And so that's something that's like always on the table and being discussed. Um, so that's another thing. It's like so countercultural, right? Because it's like, no, we don't talk about money. And we're like, no, not only do we talk about it, but we talk about it until we're in agreement on it. And um, it's but coming on the other side of that, like saying, we're going to, we're going to walk into this. It's going to be uncomfortable, but we're in agreement that um, we can stay in agreement and it might take a lot of work. Like the level of intimacy and commitment when you emerge on the other side is really profound. And you don't get to access that when you just say, we're just going to agree to disagree. Right. Like, uh, we're going to be fine. You guys don't worry about it. 
totally. Which is which is how like that's how America tells us that we should live life. Like you don't talk about you know certain things with people that aren't your spouse. Really, is what it comes down to. Um, and we've kind of said that's dumb. We think that money, you know, money for an example is one of the most impactful parts of our life. Like how much money we make, how we spend our money, it dictates who we can be around and what opportunities we can partake in and what experiences we have and where we can send our kids to school and where we vacation and, and, you know, our worth and our value in a lot of times. So why is something that is so woven through what we believe about ourselves and the Lord and community and the world? Like we've just said, but that's an area that only Ben and I will discuss together. But, you know, that being said, it, it can cause conflict, but never. And it's, it's cool because I think that it's like anything else. I think, I think about this in marriage a lot, honestly, of like what happens when you approach the table and you believe the narrative that there's just going to be potential gridlock. And so you have to have someone who is the decision maker. Um, I think if that's the narrative that you believe, you need someone that can break through the gridlock. I think you can just change the narrative and say like, "Mm, no, actually, I don't believe that. I believe that if we're both seeking the Lord, if we're both seeking to die to ourselves and to love the other person, like eventually it's, you know, some sort of math equation, right? If you have two straight lines that are getting closer and closer towards something, eventually they're going to intersect. Um, And I think that that changes everything. I think you don't, you don't have to believe that um, that you've got to bow out or that there's going to be areas where you can't be on the same page. It may take a little bit longer, but it changes everything when you believe that at a certain point you will reach a unified decision on something. And it makes the process actually a lot more fun because then all of a sudden you become like a treasure hunter where you're like, okay, have to open one more door. You know, we just, I think, I think unification and I think agreement is, is just one step out. Like, let's keep exploring. Let's keep turning things over until we get there. And it becomes a lot less oppositional and a lot more like collaborative and fun. Man, did y'all have someone model this for you? How did you know how to put shape around these ideas? Yes and no. I would say our whole community is like this really fun hodgepodge from like probably five or six different communities that we've all had some sort of part in over the last, you know, decade or 15 years of our life. So everything from like a family in Australia that Ben lived with in college to like my experience with, you know, living with women in my college house to some families in the Midwest that, um, in Texas and, and kind of all over. So it's been like a really fun amalgamation of different things that we've seen modeled, but then taking that and saying, what does that look like for us in our context and with our specific vision. And even here in Portland, there's a couple really cool um, families that are several life stages ahead of us, you know, with married with kids that are now graduating from college and they're adults who have really graciously kind of welcomed us into their friendship. And have they lived like this before? I would say the the principles of proximity and reconciliation, all of the communities that we have taken bits from, those are like two main principles. How it's actually manifesting, no, like no one else has like bought up, you know, a one lot property and divided it into three houses or, you know, has kind of the similar specific manifestations that we do, but the general spirit of it has been there. Yeah. That's amazing because I'm like thinking like, how do you multiply this? Because it feels really like what happened in Acts, right? Like it does feel really biblical, 
But if one of our friends listening, or even I'm like kind of house shopping right now, and I'm like, well, how do we actually do this? Like, what's step one? You like ask your friends if they if everybody wants to live together. <laughs> do you find three other families? Step that- one. Step one is believing that it's not actually that ridiculous or hard to do. And okay, I can do that. Way more sense. Okay, than living in isolation and like thinking about yourself. And and a lot of it does, like, you have to find other people. Like, we had a really interesting process of had, we had a lot of people in the beginning who were like, what, living next door to your friends? Yeah, that sounds awesome. And um, as we kind of got further in the process, it became more and more clear that we were going to have to make some some sacrifices to make it work for everybody. And all of a sudden, it was really interesting to see who was like, well, but on my priority list is this and this and this. And so if we can't do it and meet my individual priorities, like living in community would be fun as long as it completely overlaps with how I would live on my own. And it became very clear of like, nope, you so have to choose one So did people back other. out early? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so it, wow. it became very clear very quickly. We kind of had people that once it went from like a, yeah, this would be totally fun. What a blast. Like, well, that actually might mean you might not get to live within this proximity to work or within this neighborhood or this school district or, you know, things that aren't necessarily like fluffy or not important. Um, but what we had to do is and, and the only way that it ended up working out was that there was kind of a core group of us that said more than anything, literally more than any other kind of it needs to be in this neighborhood. It needs to be in this code. It needs to be whatever, whatever is proximity to one another. And we're willing to go wherever in the city that we need to go to make that happen. And it, it only came to fruition with the people that said the greatest good is us being in this together and not our individual family needs. Um, because I don't think that you can, you can't do both. Um, you kind of have to make a decision of do my individual nuclear family needs trump the needs of the community. And if so, I don't know how it would work because then you just have a dozen different non-negotiables that don't right like the list of non-negotiables would be like a christmas list of like well this family feels this and this family feels this it'd be like then there's only one house on one street that will work and it's someone that already lives there exactly exactly so y'all bought the land and then built the houses yes man liz that is so fascinating yeah, you should come out and play. I'm going to now. Between you and John Mark Comer, I'm like, my people are out there. I want to. You got to come. Yeah, it's really. It, and the thing is, is it's like, it's not rocket science. It's just commitment. Yeah. You know, it's commitment and it's believing that it can be done and being really, really faithful to it. Did y'all put a time limit it? on you it? Wanted... Did everybody say like, we're in this for five years, we're in this for 10 years, we'll reassess in two years? Was there any communication like that? You know, we haven't. There's no deadline. I think that the, the kind of... Um, as far as actual property goes, we didn't. And I think it's only because we were at a point at this point in our friendship where it was kind of like, there's an understanding and there's also freedom, I think has to be part of it. But I think that there's, there's this enough mix between a freedom and trust that like, if something came up, it wouldn't be an individual family's thing or decision. It would be like, this thing came up for our individual family And it becomes a part of the community conversation about like, what does this look like? Do you need to move? Do we all move together? Like we are actually kind of like already dreaming about what the, I think we'll be in on this property for years, but there's already a little bit of conversation about like, well, what about 20 years from now, you know, and like, do we buy a piece of property outside of the city and, 
And, you know, and, and it's never like sign on the dotted line. You have to be a part of that. But I think the spirit is we're going to, we're going to go and just assume that we're all running hard in this direction until something comes up or we feel called in another direction. But we'll, we'll address that when it comes up. Does some, do anybody else have kids besides y'all? We are the first one. So there's kind of like a, there's nine of us currently on the property. And then there's a couple of other families in the neighborhood. So there's a couple families in the, na- there's one other family in the neighborhood that has kids, but we're the only ones on the property that has kids. But I believe and hope and pray at least that a baby boom is coming. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> and there are, cause some of the people on the property are single as well. As of February, all married. Okay. For my son Theo. Okay. He is single technically. <laughs> okay. And so, yeah, right, right. Your infant is still single. Yes. Yes. Um, so we had one single member when it started and for the first like year that we were living in the properties. And then this February, we have a new commune mate who we delight and cherish and love. But that was a fun process too, of like welcoming someone in by marriage, yeah. you know, as opposed to like, you were with us from the beginning and she was definitely um, brought in through this relationship. So that was like a really fun, cool process. Did he like let y'all have a vote? Like everyone, do you believe this woman can join us on the property? (laughs) Yeah, kind of. (laughs) I mean, it worked out for us because we adore her, but I will say the stakes for who your friends Mary become incredibly high when you're like, oh, not only are you going to be married to her, like she's going to be like sharing a property with me and borrowing my clothes and helping raise my kids. So I hope I like you. How do the houses set? I'm like so fascinated by this, as you can tell. Because do you live with another couple in your house? We did. And that couple moved to one of the next door houses when we had our baby. Um, And then, and now, right now we're working on Actually, this is really cool because it's just like, wait, what? This is still happening? We are basically doing the same thing a block away. We bought a property. We're building a duplex. Um, That couple is going to move into one half of that duplex. And then another couple bought the other half that we're actually going to be able to rent out kind of as we see fit for different community needs. So it's it's kind of growing down the block, which is really fun. This is brilliant and probably incredibly hard. It is, but it's the fun that it is, is infinitely, it's not even like a question of work payoff. It is hard. And we spend more time in conversation and, you know, we have in-depth as a community, you know, we're meeting and talking about things that probably most other friend groups aren't. And there are times where it's like, Lord have mercy. Can we just make a decision on this? Do y'all have scheduled meetings every week? Not every week. Well, the girls meet every week and the guys meet every week. So we have like guys and girls night. and that, But that's not really community living. That's just like, let's be in life together and have a consistent space where we're making sure we're opening whiskey and sharing our woes. Um, and and then once a month, we do meet as a community. We have a family dinner. We actually have our family dinner tonight. So it's like we meet together, we take communion, we talk about kind of principles of being in community. And then we have um, other forms of communication for like logistical stuff so we've we used this app called slack where it's like oh, chores yeah. and finances and oh, neighborhood you know neighborhood love and those kind of things that we use to communicate kind of some more of those like smaller things i mean liz i'm so fascinated by this 
I think it's the most amazing thing. I did not even know. Like, I can't wait to talk about Seiko and that and our friend Joy. Like, I have this whole list of things. And now I'm like, so does, like, someone clean every toilet? Like, I have it, like, all <laughs> – I have a thousand <laughs> questions and I'm not going to make well, the answer right now. you know what? Right I'm going to hold I'm gonna hold those close to my chest and I'm going to use them as leverage to come to a field trip. Yeah. Oh, and girl. Then I'm so in. Come. I am so in. I think it's amazing. I just finished watching <laughs> – I mean, this is just going to show you how deep my weird gets, especially when I'm writing a book. But I just finished watching this uh, one season show on Netflix called Pioneer Quest. Have you heard of it? (laughs) No. No, because no one has. My sister found it on accident and was like, oh, Annie would like this. And I watched it and she was right. But it's like 20 years old. It's from 2000. And it's these two couples who literally get dropped into Manitoba, Canada, like, as 1875 settlers, and they don't know each other beforehand, except they met in the interviews, and they have to, like, they start, they, I mean, they have supplies, but uh, 1875 supplies, and they start living in a tent, they have to build houses and barns and all this stuff, and I'm like, people have been doing this for 200 plus years in America. Isn't it crazy, though? Yeah, cause, so watching them be 21st century people, living like 1875 people, but having to do what you're talking about, like where they're having to like figure out who does what, when, and, and for like 11 weeks or seven, seven to 11 weeks, they're, they're living, two married couples are living in one tent. And so there was a lot of like communication that had to go on about like when we go to sleep and when we wake up and he snores and she makes sounds that, you know, like It was, and when it got to be so cold, they wanted to pee in the tent instead of going out to the outhouse. And so then they were like, well, we just stopped being shy about that and just started peeing in the tent, you know, like in a, in a container, not just like on the floor of the tent. But yeah, I mean, we've had to have that conversation. Wow. Just kidding. You're like, yeah, Annie, same goes for us. We have to talk about, we have one toilet. It's part of what we're doing. Oh my Did gosh, I not mention awful. that? It oh my gosh! In the back of the house, in the in the, in the backyard, no structure, no yeah, walls. Yeah, it's just it's a awesome. hole. It's just a hole in the floor, in the ground. Oh man, that's awesome. I mean, I bet it is really. Do all of you go to the same church? We don't, and that's kind of been like a. I think at some point that could evolve, and even just kind of how we're thinking about how church plays into our community, but right now we all go to different churches and that's kind of been like a, um, intentional decision to kind of say, we want to keep being outward facing in some really tangible ways and like kind of keep various, you know, connections to the community. And, and we're all like have pretty different, um, thoughts about the types of communities when it comes to a church um, body that we want to be connected to. Like we have one um, member of our community who's like fascinated, obsessed, lived in China, has Chinese sisters. Like so integrating into a Chinese faith community, is really important. Whereas I know this is shocking, but that's not as important to me. Right. Um, shocking. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but I, I could foresee in the next season of kind of creating this vision that, that our uh, vision on church could develop in I think some interesting ways. Yeah. Not sure. TBD. Yeah. We'll we'll recap that when we continue this That's in two right. minutes or fifteen years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what if we had to stop? We're gonna the go for a short again? commercial break. Oh my gosh. So I we're gonna imagine. come back. That can't happen because this podcast comes out on Thursday. So we've we are oh, talking okay. today. Well, <laughs> 
That is, when it was three weeks ago we were recording for July 13th, it was fine. But now. A little wiggle room. Right. Now we got to get our, get our um, top on. Here's another topic I want to talk about. You cut your hair for the first time in like years, right? You like Ever. chopped your hair off. Ever. Ever. I've never had a significant haircut in my life. You've just had trims. Because you I'm didn't like, have like long, weird yeah. Amish person hair. And I love Amish people, but you didn't have that like really long. <laughs> I I do not want to I do not want to marginalize my Amish audience. Thank you guys for your long hair and your cinnamon rolls. We love you. You be you. Everybody right. else is taken. That's right. Um. Yeah, it's the first like non-trim I've ever gotten. What deal. made you do it? It like, looks beautiful, but what was the like? Okay, it's time to like have short hair. I mean, it's not a mom haircut. My so. my commune mates seriously really? bullied me into it. This would be a, the most superficial example of how community, your friends go, we see something that you can't see and it's going to be good for you and we're going to bully you into oh it. Oh my gosh. Like literally, they would send me photos on like a weekly basis, inspiration haircut photos, and came to the hair salon. They got kicked out of the hair salon. No. It ended up being kind of dramatic. Yes, because that's how lame I am. I had an entourage of friends. Who came one of the husbands too, not oh, just the wife. Oh my gosh. Two wives and a husband come on a Saturday to the hair salon, bring lunch, set up camp. Finally, we're asked to leave by the hairstylist who was like, This is weird. And you guys need to go. Oh my gosh, y'all can't stay here <laughs> anyway, and watch us do this. It was it was a community effort though, but truly it was my friends who were like, You should really do this. And they, they bullied me into it. How but do I'm you glad feel they about do. It? Yeah, they I was about to say, Do you it. like it now? I love it. Yeah, it's way it's great. Cute. You know what I feel best about, though, is that I feel pretty embarrassed about the amount of emotional energy I spent, like, thinking that cutting my hair was going to be so hard. Like, really, oh, Liz? sure. I don't know. It was kind of humbling, where it was like, I realized that I might have more identity, like, tied up in my hair, which sounds really pathetic than I thought I did. Because before, I was like, oh, no, it's just long because I just, you know, don't really think about it and never cut it. But then when someone wanted me to cut it, I was like, I don't know, what if I hate it? Right. And so I, what I really love is that now I feel um, not like I would go out and shave my head tomorrow by any means, but it feels like a, there, there's there been a weight lifted of like, oh, it doesn't actually, I'm still me and that's fine. And like, I'm going to get it cut soon. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe I'll go shorter. Yeah. feels like I'm able to hold it a lot looser now right. than I was. So it, it actually feels like it was kind of, there was some personal growth and development right. that probably needed to happen. Man, and there is no limit to what we will find our identity in. <laughs> is there, I mean, it's just, there's nothing that we won't I'm I'm the exact same way. I could list fifty things that I have to go, Oh, that's not my identity. That's not my identity. That's not who I am. It's not who I am. I, I totally get it. Yep. And then it's not until what's really humbling, I think, is when you're like, Oh yeah, that's definitely not and then rubber hits the road and you're like, Oh, if what I was saying was true, then this wouldn't actually be hard and it right. feels hard. Those are those are the ones that make me be like, oh, because then I start spiraling out of control. And I think about what are all the other things in my life that I think don't have a hold on me, but it's just because I haven't had to confront something yet. And then that can take me down a really dark. Oh, that gets dark fast. That gets dark fast. Dark really fast. That's what you need to go watch Pioneer <laughs> yeah. Quest. That's what Netflix is for. Yeah. Amazon is yes, to help that you. That is what the relief corners of Netflix That's are right. for. That's right. Um, okay. Let's talk about Seiko. Okay. Are you ready? Because I Let's love talk it. about it. And I think it's, so do you and Ben, do y'all both work full-time at Seiko? 
we both work full-time. Our desks are about 18 inches apart. <laughs> My gosh, you live in a commune. You work in a commune. <laughs> are you yeah. in a cult, Liz? Yeah. Is this me? Is this a yeah. friend who's looking from the outside and saying, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm totally dear listener. You are Liz is not. You are cult. too. My what my haircut friend was yes. to my overall yes. life. Yeah, maybe if being in a cult means that you design your life so that you can do things that you're excited about that people think are really hard that are hard, but also are like, but it's so much better than the other way. And let's do things with people that we actually really love and enjoy being around, then yeah, I do live and work in a cult. Yeah. I mean, if that's the definition of a cult, I actually want to join one. So if there's anybody taking applications. It actually is. It actually is pretty interesting that we're, I would say it's interesting that you spent so much time focusing on our community living, because I would say that that has really impacted how we think about Seiko in the last year or two, and it's literally completely transformed our entire business model and mission as a company was kind of that question of why don't we try to do this with our business? Why don't we try to create community in a way that we've kind of done in our personal life, but do that in a very business sense? Um, so for those of you who are listening and you've never heard of Seiko, it's kind of like Nike. Just kidding. I know it is. Um, it's just like Nike. You probably haven't heard of it. So essentially, we're we're an ethical fashion brand. We work with incredible, really high potential um, young women in Uganda who test into college but can't afford to go. So they come and they work for us and they make incredible, beautiful sandals and jewelry and handbags and apparel. Soon, it's launching in a month. Yes. Um, and we we sell that product in the U.S. and they earn money to go to college and then to become leaders in their community. And it's this really incredible, beautiful picture of community in Uganda. So it's like for the last like seven or eight years, we've been thinking, how do we hijack the production manufacturing model to create two things? One thing, community and opportunity for women in East Africa. So we've got women that are from all over the country that to be completely honest are kind of freaks of nature where they come from, because there are these like super high potential, hard driving, big dreaming women who go back to their villages and their families are like, Mm, no, that doesn't work here. You're going to get married and here's your bride price and we're going to trade you for 14 cows and you're going to get married to the six-year-old that you've never met in college. Yeah, right. So, so much of what we're trying to do in Uganda is create community for those women, bring them together, keep them like living and working together with the belief that if you're around like-minded women, it creates an incredible or people um, that support you and that believe in the best version of who you are and that are pushing you towards more of who you were created to be that like incredible things happen. So that's what we've been doing in Uganda. And then a couple of years ago, we were like, hmm, could we do that in the U.S.? Like, could we do that through our retail model, not just our manufacturing model? So about a year and a half ago, things got real crazy. And Ben and I decided to shut down our entire business as we know it, selling like classic retail online and through stores um, and essentially launch a, a new sales platform that enabled women here in the States that are really interested in becoming impact entrepreneurs to start and launch and scale their own businesses, but to do that in the context of community. It was like, I was getting like dozens of emails a week from women that were like, I love Seiko. I love how you're using business to make an impact in the world. Like, I'm working in a job that I don't feel purposeful in, or I don't, you know, I don't really feel like I'm called, I'm called to this location, but I have no idea how I would get there. And I want to use my skills and my passion to make an impact. And we're over here going like, 
good luck. Sorry. We don't really have anything that, you know, I can only go on so many 30 minute coffee dates a week to talk about impact entrepreneurship. And so we kind of started dreaming about what if we could bring these women together and what if we could help them launch and scale their own businesses. But instead of doing that in kind of the classic entrepreneur sense of being really isolated and out there on your own doing it, do it in the context of a community of other like-minded women. So that's what we did. And we, um, shut down our whole wholesale program, which was about 80% of our revenue at the time. And it was like, this is either going to be awesome and we're going to get to integrate our values and our beliefs about the world into our company in a deeper and more meaningful way than ever before, or we're going to sink. And this is going to be the thing that tanks us. <laughs> so those are fun moments in business. Right. Luckily, it was the former. I mean, but certainly there were days where you were like, we've made the wrong choice. You know, I would say there were days in the beginning where it was too soon to tell. Yes. Okay. And it was so scary. It oh, was so scary. Imagine. Literally our board, literally our board looked at us and was just like 80% of your revenue comes from these stores that are selling your products. You want to do what with that? Like it wasn't like we were like, Oh, we have this revenue channel and it's pretty insignificant. And we want to make some tweaks. We were literally like, we're going to say bye-bye yeah. 80% of our revenue with, with the belief that we can replace that. Um, but I would say we haven't really doubted it only because in the last, the first full year of doing what's called the Seiko Fellows Program, which w- was in 2016, we did more in revenue that year through our fellows alone than we ever did through wholesale in our entire existence. No way. Yes, because women are awesome and women who are driven by like wanting to be social entrepreneurs and like learn and understand our impact and share that with their communities. It's like, it's, it's so it's magic. It's, and I know I sound super hyperbolic. I'm really on a high right now because we're getting ready to host a lot of them out in Oregon. Oh, are you? For the first time the women. Yes. It's our first ever, like we're calling it the Seiko Fellows Summit. So we have women from all over the country that are coming out to Oregon. I just got back a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago now, we took 10 of our top performing fellows um, who all earned free trips over to Uganda to meet our production team and to meet their soul sisters. And the more time I spend with these women, I'm like, I mean, talk about what we were talking about earlier. Like, I honestly feel like I've done it. I made it so that I can just hang out with my favorite, awesome, amazing, hilarious, inspiring, hardworking women. And, and that's my job. Instead of like, going to Vegas and selling at trade shows and having to like deal with like retailers and buyers who don't really care about your brand or what you're doing. And it just like, that was like such a grind. And now it's like, I can honestly say for the first time in Seiko's history, I am just as excited about the work that we're doing on the retail side in the U S than as I am in, in Uganda. And up until this point, my career, it's always been like, I cared about the East Africa side and the U S side felt like, a necessary thing that I had to do. Right. That's actually how I remember you talking about it when we had Mexican food two years ago, three years ago. Yeah. When we were in Austin, I remember that's what you're, you're like, this is the side we have to do because I so believe in the overseas side. There's no way to do the overseas side if I don't have retail sales on the U.S. side. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's kind of fun that we yeah. have that conversation. That was seven years of my career was like, I'll do this because I have to do this because I believe in this other part of my business. And so I literally just feel like in, in 12 months, my level of energy and passion and excitement has increased by a hundred percent. Cause now I'm saying like, I get to show up 
and do US work that like, are you kidding me? I part of my job is taking 10 women that I would be best friends with in real life to Uganda to like meet their soul sisters and have this incredible experience. Like my job is hosting Seiko fellows from all over the country at the beach in Oregon and talking about leadership and dealing with, you know, our identities and strategies and community. That's my, like, I get to do that. And I run a fashion. Are the fellows doing like trunk shows at their houses? Is that how they're getting the product and story to people? Yes. So it's, it's a combo of like a trunk show in home party model with um, an online e-commerce side of it. So about 30% overall of our revenue is being driven still by online sales, but online sales that are being driven by our Seiko fellows in their communities. So leveraging their online platforms and social medias um, to, to sell the product. How does that feel for the women? Like when you took those 10 over there to Uganda, what was it like for the Ugandan women to meet these women? Oh who, my gosh. Right. Was it insane? It was it was insane because, and it was one of the most, it was so, uh, I could go on for, like this for a while. I have some um, major reservations about, I'm just going to be real frank with you. I have some pretty big reservations about taking a group of 10 white Americans over to Uganda and all of the things that can go wrong, not just logistically, but kind of the like relational dynamic and why are we here and what does this look like? But in the way that Seiko works, like literally these are just their, their coworkers, their colleagues. And it's like Seiko fellows show up and they take big risks and they are out in the field and they're selling and they're marketing and they're doing graphic design and they're working on messaging and they're just working their butts off to sell product. Meanwhile, our team of women in Uganda are showing up every day to, to work and they're working their butts off on getting orders out on time and making sure quality is on point and making sure our raw material supply, you know, all of the things that go into actually making the product. And so there, it's just like everybody's working super hard and we're all working towards the same cause. And it's like our fellows know that they wouldn't have a job if it weren't for our women in Uganda who are making awesome products for them. Our women in Uganda know that they wouldn't have a job if it weren't for the Seiko fellows who are out there busting it, like selling the product and telling the story. So what it ended up feeling like was this true. It felt like a reunion trip where it was like, we get to finally meet the other half of our company and even hearing our fellows talk about it. Just like, I'm going to Uganda to meet my colleagues. Literally that was just like, so it was awesome. And it was really cool to like, you know, at one point we had the fellows get up and share about their journey of becoming Seiko fellows. And, you know, what I really try to avoid in everything that we do at Seiko is kind of feeding into this dynamic of like, oh, the poor Africans and we're the like, you know, white Americans who can help solve all of your problems. And, and so, you know, to put some white people up on stage and say, like, talk about why Seiko is important to you felt a little bit risky. And it shouldn't have been because I know these women and they ended up, you know, being amazing. But they're sharing their stories of like, you know, my marriage was in this crazy place. And it was like I was super frustrated in work and I was taking that out on my husband and our marriage was super rocky. And it all kind of came down to this like crux of I didn't have a purpose in my vocation. And that was affecting like my belief in myself and my identity. And then Seiko came around and I found this like sisterhood and this tribe of other women. And, and now I'm a healthier version of myself and my marriage is thriving and my kids are thriving. 
And so for that, for our like Ugandan team to hear like, hey, here's how you showing up every day to work is literally transforming lives and marriages yeah. and families in the U.S., as opposed to this kind of old narrative of like, here's what we're doing in the U.S. to help you be thankful, you know. Um, the, yeah, it was just, it was a sister. It's like, it's a sisterhood and it's everyone knowing that we have different roles to play, but that when we show up, we are working towards the same goal and that there's a rising tide. And there was something, it was the most profound experience that I've had in my career to sit back and to watch the two halves of these companies get to come together and interact in just truly profound relational ways. It was, it was such a dream. Man, no kidding. So will you do that once a year? Yes, at least. We keep setting these like massive goals that we think no one's going to be able to. Like literally when we did this goal for this trip, when we were first dreaming up, we're like, okay, if you sell X now, you know, this is crazy. It was like three times more than what anybody had sold up till that point. You'll earn a free trip to Uganda. <laughs> and then like midnight, the night before the deadline, our website's just like blowing up. People are submitting, and we're like literally watching it. And we're just like, oh my gosh, we're taking three people. We're taking four people. We're taking five. We're taking <laughs> 10 people. <laughs> <You've gone> that. <laughs> that is unbelievable. So there's that. Okay. So, how, like, so someone listening is like, this seems like a dream. How do, how can, can anyone apply to be a fellow? Yeah. Anyone can apply. If you go to our website, which is Seiko Designs dot com. Um, they'll be on our homepage, something about joining our team or the fellows program. Click on that link. You can learn all about it. Um, we'll get you set up. You do like a really quick application and then we interview everybody that applies to be a fellow, which is a pretty unique thing in the direct sales space. We are very adamant that um, it's not about just like recruiting people and like selling people stuff, but really we, we truly are pretty serious about we want to build a global community of impact entrepreneurs and people who want to be in it with each other. So you'll do a quick, short interview. And if it seems like it's a good fit, then we welcome you to the team and you get to start rocking and rolling. And hopefully you'll come to Uganda with us next year. Liz, this is so interesting. Okay. So in my life, when I look out across my world, AKA Facebook, there are a lot of people currently doing direct sales kind of things, right? Like, and so we have two choices as consumers that can either be annoying or we can ask the question why. And so I've been finding myself lately going, why is this? Why is it? Cause they, people have always sold stuff, right? Like Tupperware and Amway and all that old school stuff from when we were kids. But it does feel like there's a surge of, and particularly in women, there's a surge of women who want to be in community doing work with other women that because like one of my old assistants, Sarah, who's amazing, is like way into Young Living, but not just because the oils do stuff for her, though they do. She like loves the people. Is that a why behind why this is doing so well across a lot of platforms, but particularly for Seiko Fellows is there's just something stirring, right? Do you feel like it's a God thing or is it just like a, a technology thing or what is it? So, oh, I love this. Can we just have four hours to talk about totally. this? Totally. I think that there's several different components. So, one, um, I'll start kind of on as, as far on the community side, and I'm going to work my way through kind of industry things. So, yes, I absolutely believe that there is um, this community, this desire. I think, to our point, we keep circling back to community, but I think it's like... Well, I am an Enneagram 7, so... Well, there we go. I have a very strong 7 wing, so I'll meet you there. 
Um, I thought it was a seven for a long time. Um, but that lie was shattered. Um, so you have, you know, we live in this culture that's pushing us further and further away from each other, essentially. Like, go get, you know, get married, build a house that's in the suburb, in a suburb that you don't know. If you're having money or sex or faith or any issues, uh, definitely keep that to yourself. Like, those are inappropriate things. And keep up with the Joneses. And, and, and it's just like we're just seeing it's crumbling. It's crumbling. And what we're seeing is that people were not made to live that way. We were made to share our joy and to share our burdens. And so I think part of this is just simply women going like, I want that. I want women and not even just women that I'm, I think that there's something really, you know, Ben and I fell in love doing ministry together. And I think that there's a reason like it's so going on dates is great. And I'm a big fan of going on dates, but being in something with someone just, it's just different. It's like the level of intimacy this, the, you know, the vulnerability that's required, the shared sense of like purpose. I think that when we're working towards something together, I feel this way with my community mates, that it's like, we're not just pals that hang out to have a good time. We're kind of on a mission. And so we're really in it. And so I think a lot of women feel that way of like, I'm done kind of just being like, whether that's, you know, colleagues at work that we go to happy hour every once in a while, or moms that just see each other on the playground, like we want to be in it. I will say that I think with Seiko, we are pretty unique in that we have more of a subset of, of women. And this is why I don't think the Seiko Fellows opportunity is for everyone, that there is women that are going, even that's not enough. Like, I want to know that what I'm doing, what I'm selling, how I'm working, what company I'm working for is making an impact in a way that I can say aligns with what I believe about the world. So we have like a very justice driven group of women like seriously the world's smartest i won't well well what if a man applies do you take dudes to be fellows or no we do we do we actually have we have a couple husband wife teams i don't think we have any solo man fellows but they are absolutely welcome yeah i didn't know if it was a women only thing yeah no it's it's for anyone but it's pretty female centric um so you have this whole group of women that kind of feel like you know, we just geek out over like responsible consumerism and ethical fashion and economics. We had this big thing last week. I won't bore you with the details, but a massive policy changing that's trying to go through in Washington right now that would have a crippling effect on the East African export community. Like they're trying to sneak it by. No one, I mean, just like crazy stuff. And so Ben and I put together, I mean, literally within hours, we were like, what? This is happening and it's happening in DC now? Like, we sent out this thing to our fellows. We're just like, here's the deal. Here's the policy. Here's the economic ramifications of people that are living in poverty. And our fellows were just like, yeah, like we're on it. And it was like amazing. I honestly felt like I was in like a, the final scene of Wonder Woman. Only there was like hundreds of them instead of one that it was just like, oh, no, you didn't. And they're like going for it. They're writing petitions and they're commenting and they're getting their families uh, you know, rallied behind it. And so we have this incredible energy of women. When you can bring women or people together that share not just like hobbies or likes, but also values and like beliefs. And then they look at these women and go like, oh, you're my people. Together, we're, we're the ones that are going to make like a dent. And I think a lot of, a lot of women feel like, a lot of people feel like social justice is like this massive, huge, overwhelming what could I ever do it's a drop in the bucket and it's that's how you feel facing any problem but 
I think when you link arms with other people that feel the exact same way, then all of a sudden there's like this surge of energy that's like, oh, I may only be one person, but together we can actually do something and we could move the needle. And then, and so now it's like, yeah, I, I truly feel like it's kind of like we found our people. There was, when we were in Uganda, it was so fun. I went to go, we kind of had three waves of people coming in from the airport and one of the waves only had one woman. And so I went to go pick her up. She was like, I can't wait to meet my best friend. And I was like, excuse me, what do you mean by that? (laughs) And she was like, Stephanie, she's my person. She's my best friend. I've never like, and, and I was like, but you guys haven't met yet. She's like, Oh no, we haven't actually met yet, but she's my best friend. You know, and it's like, here's two women, one from Missouri, one from Pennsylvania who have connected on a variety of different things. And now they're in it together. They're running their businesses together. They're collaborating, they're sharing resources um, that it's like actual, true, transformational, meaningful, like community is happening. And also like, that's how we're running our company. So it's like pretty, I don't know. It's a dream. I, I literally feel like I'm pinching myself and I can't yeah. believe that this is like, this is actually, we get to come together and make beautiful products and sell beautiful products and do that all kind of in community with other women who are like-minded. Sign me up. You're more than signed up, ma'am. You are in charge. <laughs> like, you are the linchpin. I hate to break it to you. Um, I mean, it's really interesting because something that I talk about a lot with my friends and my community here in Nashville is what it looks like for us to have a thesis statement for our lives. Like, how you have kind of one calling in your life, but it can have a lot of different expressions. And it feels like you've really located your calling in this life in a lot of ways. Right? Because it's expressing itself in a couple of different ways, but your heart to see people really thrive in community is happening. I mean, just on this, in this one conversation, there's the women in Uganda, there's your fellows and there's the humans that you actually share life with and your marriage and your church. I'm like, I mean, Liz, you, that is like, does that feel true to you that your, your heart kind of beats for people growing in community? Yeah. You know, I feel like I should probably pay you for being on this podcast. That was probably a pretty profound thing that I should write down and say that I learned on the That Sounds Fun podcast. Right. Um, But yeah, no, I think it it is fun because I think for me, this transition to the Seiko Fellows Program, I think is that. It's like, whoa, it now feels like a thread that, that runs through every sector of my life. And that is a pretty powerful. And the cool thing is, is then it only gets like, it's so fun that like when I'm having family dinner with my commune mates, all of a sudden I'm thinking like, like literally this happened last week. We were just like dream riffing with my commune mates about something and about like this vision that we had. And then all of a sudden I was like, Oh my gosh. And I could see how that interwound with what we're doing at Seiko. And I was like, what if we did this? And then kind of part of it could be like that we used it for this purpose for our fellows, but then when we're not doing it for that, you know, and, and then my commune mates who are of course like all in on Seiko and that community are like, yes, yes, yes. And so to see like how it only like, you know, I think we so often live life thinking that it's zero sum, right? If I take energy or focus or time away from this, it's going to take away, you know, I have to take away from this to be able to give to this. Whereas I think when we can kind of navigate and find those like threads and say that this is a value that will go towards kind of co-creating every area of my life, then this like energy starts to create where it's like, well, if we did this over here, it would look a little bit different, but what if we tweaked it and did it in this, you know, we did it in work or we did it in church or we did it with our kids or we did it with our friends. Right. It is. It's fun. I feel like 
I feel like in that sense, I am experiencing a season of, um, of kind of flow in that way that these, these kind of thoughts and concepts are flowing from one sector to another, which is, um, pretty amazing. And I have, I have a lot of gratitude for that because I would say that part of that I do believe is because of my passion, but I think part of it is just a sweet gift from the Lord of putting people in my life and, um, yeah, just things that are completely out of my control that have come together that make me go like, Oh shoot, that, that wasn't me. Like this was, I asked for something that felt kind of impossible. And then the Lord came in and said like, not impossible. Okay. Right. But here's the other thing I'd say to you, Liz, is that, that you only saw God show up for you because you were looking for him to show up for you. You saw all those puzzle pieces come together, but that's because you were looking to see if they would come together. Because I think a lot of people, and I do this sometimes too, where there's times where I ask God to do something and then I don't watch to see if he'll do it and he doesn't do it. Or if he does, which he usually does, I did, I just didn't see it because I asked for God to do something big or I asked for a big shift. And then I went, I don't know if he'll do it. Or I don't know if we can do this. Or you can like look at your life and go, what is God doing? Like, oh, he's making all my dreams come true that I didn't know I had, but I just wasn't looking because I was so busy focused on this thing I don't have. Or I was so busy focused on on this this thing over here. I missed that God was doing 19 things. You know, like you're so busy looking at the closed door that you don't notice the like 19 open doors next to you that are really life-giving and and so I think you you just do a really beautiful job of going like, man, look at because you don't get everything you want, right? I mean, I think it's fair to tell the listener that that your life isn't perfect and you don't have everything you want, right? And yeah, totally. And even kind of just talking about the work, like you know, to our point earlier when we hung out two years ago, and I was super honest with you, I would say for six years. I worked towards something without feeling that sense of like, it all makes sense. You know, like, again, I was passionate about one part of it, but another part really felt like sacrifice. And so I do think that that's really important, that it was not an overnight, like, I had this idea. It was like, no, for six or seven years of my life, I showed up going like, oh, this is just something that needs to be done because I believe in it. And I am passionate about a part of it. And I'm going to kind of just like, be faithful and show up and it wasn't glamorous and it wasn't fun and it wasn't super life-giving to be honest. But I think that's where we miss out. Like I think so many people, the moment they start feeling that are like, well, it's not right. I got to head, I got to peace out, change course. Instead of saying like, maybe it is right. And just for a season and that season might be a month, that season might be six years <laughs> where it's like, be like to show up and be faithful. I also think part, probably part of it is that I have a a pretty extreme personality. So when I put things out there, it's like, I, I kind of can't ignore or forget what I've asked God because I'm like, Oh, Hey God, uh, I put 80% of our revenue on the line and I don't have like a job or a way to like feed my kid if you don't show up. So I'm going to be watching pretty carefully. Yep. 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 No, I'm the same way. I mean, I'm a lot of the same way of going like we either. And I think that's really important. I need to hear you say that, but I think it's really important for some of my friends who are listening to hear you say like when you determine what you want to do with your life, sometimes you have to risk what you've always done with your life in order to go after what you're supposed to do. Amen. I mean, you had to like 80 <laughs> percent. Yes. Like I think so often we wait for it to be forced into that, you know, to say like, well, this is okay. I think it could be better, but I'm going to stick with okay unless it falls apart and I have to shift course, which is like, why are we waiting for that? Like, I think the most dangerous 
magical question we can ask ourselves is actually in the spaces. And this is where Ben and I were. We were like, okay, it's working. You know, like we weren't in a time of desperation. We weren't in like a, we have to change course or it would, but it was like this, it's working. Could it work better? And that question, but could it work better? I think is so dangerous, but man, it is so, it's so magical because when you're in, when you have that belief that it's just like so many of us, you know, we see this not to get political and take us in a different realm, but you know, we see this a lot with our community in Uganda when it comes to politics, right? Where it's like this idea of like, not great, but it's better than that dictator we had two decades ago. So like, I'm going to choose, I'm going to vote for the guy that like, is not great. And I know he's not great. And I know, you know, it's corrupt and I know it's not as good as it could be because I'm so afraid of how bad it could get as opposed to having a posture where we're saying like, I'm not going to settle for okay because I believe that what is out there. Ben had this amazing analogy. We were like actually talking about generosity and I don't, I didn't even, I didn't actually know what he was talking about, but he painted the word picture good. He was talking about this video game Zelda. Yeah. Sorry. Not Annie. Okay. Okay. Me neither. But apparently in Zelda, there's like this whole like amazing adventure wonderland and you can, in the video game, you can get like kind of sucked into this little pond where you like go and you're fishing in this pond and, and you're getting fish out of the pond and you're like, just, playing in this pond and nothing matters. It's like you keep racking up fish, but the fish don't mean anything. They don't contribute to anything. It's basically just like this distraction. And Ben's analogy was like, man, how often are we just like hanging out fishing in this pond that doesn't mean anything and it doesn't matter. And it's not like, and and meanwhile, there's this like adventurous wonderland that we're like missing out on because we're just, we just feel so safe and entranced in this kind of area that we that we just keep going without asking questions. And I think anything that can cause us to go like, wait, wait, wait a second, why am I doing this? What am I doing? What's the purpose? And does God have something bigger and better? And maybe probably most likely it's always also scarier, um, but that that's where the good stuff starts to happen. Right. Dude, just like in Zelda. <laughs> Like in Zelda. I'm just going to make a t-shirt that says hashtag yeah. live like in Zelda. Live like in Zelda. Well, there's two things we need to talk about really fast, and then I'll let you go. Number one, let's talk about when we thought our friend Joy had been kidnapped <laughs> because she just stopped Instagram story. <laughs> okay, so the second part, though, was is we had both texted her phone number, her American phone. She, she and her husband, Matt, moved to Paris. You and I both texted her American phone number, and it was no longer her phone number. And she also had not told us that. Terrifying. <laughs> so Annie and I are just going back and forth. I'm like, when's the last time you've talked to Yeah, seriously. Here's the insult that I have. <laughs> we really kind of worked each other up into it. I know, I did. When she finally responded, she was like, you guys, it was my birthday. And I was on a trip. It's like, well, you should have said that on Instagram story one time. Say, I'm leaving Instagram story. Also, the last Instagram story that she posted was of her eating a grape that she hoped yes, wasn't poisonous. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Isn't that funny? So, anyway, she's alive. She's alive. Yeah, the follow the, the end of the story is Joy Egrich Reed is alive and wonderful. <laughs> that is, Annie has a thesis for her life. The thesis for this podcast is, Joy Egger Treat is alive. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly right. Um, okay, so the last question we always ask, which really is the thesis of this podcast, is what sounds fun to you? If it's called That Sounds Fun, what sounds fun to you right now? Like, if you could do anything right now, what sounds really fun to you? I mean, what sounds really fun would be someone being like, hey, I just wrote you this really big check. 
and you have this amount of money to take 10 of your favorite people anywhere in the world and go on a week-long vacation. That sounds really fun. That's my dream. That's my dream, dream, dream. Traveling with my friends is my favorite. Listen, I need you to go look at my friend Landon's Instagram this week because she turned 40. She's living with Landon. She was on here with us at Christmas. She turned 40, and that's what she did is like 10 of them went to Mexico. And she said it was like planning a small wedding. And it was amazing. She loved, I mean, it was like five or six couples and, and her husband, I mean, yeah. So people can do it. That's a, that's a very, We've done, those are my, like, we did, we did a big rainbow road trip to China two years ago, literally like 10 of us wearing rainbow colored hats. So it's kind of where the rainbow road Portland, we were so obnoxious, but, um, I don't, there's nothing that gets more fun to me than like being with people that I love experiencing new things where you're like, Oh my gosh. Um, that's, that's like the peak of my, that's kind of the peak of my existence. Yeah. So that sounds real fun. Also, if any of you benevolent, uh, listeners out there feel really compelled by my, that sounds fun. My address is oh, that's right. two, two. Just send it to Rainbow Road, Portland. They know. No, yeah. no, no. <laughs> it just goes to the post office and gets four. You can just, we're like the North Pole. You That's can just right. write that on there. That's right. That's right. Write to us. Um, Liz, thanks for being on the podcast. You're awesome. I love you. Oh, it's so fun. Please come visit. I will. And I'm going to move into a compound. We're going to do it. All right. Sounds good. Feel right. You can write it off. All right. Thanks, friend. Love you. Talk to you soon. Love you too. Bye. I mean, okay, you guys, right? Like, maybe I should, like, really talk to my friends about moving on their street. I think I'm going to. That's what I want is to live in community like that. I think, especially for those of us that are single, but I think this is really true for married people as well, is that there's just really a lot of life available for you when you live in community with other families, really, really live in community with them. And um, I don't know if you saw on my Instagram this week, but I on my birthday, one of the things I really wanted was to eat with a bunch of my friends' kids and, like, all my friends be there. And so there's this picture of me and, like, nine kids under five that are, like, super important to me and their parents are super important to me. And so I um, am just really interested in this whole idea. And and here's the thing is that nobody has everything that they want, right? But God always provides for us. And he will always make a way to fill your heart if you want him to if you will release the expectations of what you thought it would look like and just let him fill your heart, he does. And that's what happened and has happened with me with these families and some of my families in Atlanta as well is that my expectation of what family would look like in my 30s is not what I have, but I have family. And so that has been just the Lord being generous to me. So maybe I need to live on their street. Hey, one of the things that Liz and I talked about was this idea of one calling with multiple expressions. And I talked about that one time from Q Ideas, from the Q Conference. I think it was at Q Women. And so I'll get our lovely intern turned employee, turned hero, Hale, to link to that on our website, AnnieFDowns.com backslash podcast. And you can just click on the episode with Liz and it'll take you to a blog post with all the links. And we will make sure that is up in time for you guys to click on that and see that talk. Or you can just Google One Calling Multiple Expressions Annie F. Downs and it will be there. If you enjoyed this conversation today with Liz, I bet you'd also love backing up and listening to my conversation with Angie Smith or just a couple weeks ago with Jenny Allen. I just feel like they kind of work in the same world and same brain space as Liz. Though I will tell you, Liz is one of a kind, isn't she? I mean, just amazing 
What a amazing woman. I'm so grateful to be friends with someone like her. So, hey, our music in the background is our sweet friend. Speaking of people I feel lucky to be friends with, Ellie Holcomb, who I adore. Her album is called Red Sea Road, so I hope you have grabbed that. Hey, if you get a chance and you can rate and review the show, that helps so much. It tells people that this is a fun place to come hang out, even if they do not know who we are yet. Coming up in only like two weeks is our That Sounds Fun weekend with... Eddie Koffeltz, Dave Barnes, Kelly Bannon, Christy Knuckles, and just announced also coming Sadie Robertson. It's going to be so fun, you guys. So if you want to join us, we have a handful of tickets left. We really don't have very many. And so make sure you go ahead and grab those. Go to thatsoundsfunweekend.com. And I'm embarrassingly easy to find Annie F as in fancy or fun. Annie F Downs all over the place. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, anywhere you need me. That is where you can find me. And hey, if you have some friends that you want to live in community with or you love living around, why don't y'all send this podcast? I'm actually going to send this to my friends I want to live near too and let them just listen to the conversation and then see if we can have a conversation after that about what it would really look like to step into this. I think Liz and Ben and their community and the way they're running Seiko really are maybe onto something, you guys. So that's why I wanted you to get to meet her and her stories. I think it's incredible. So I hope y'all have a really great day. It's hot, hot, hot in Nashville. And I'm not really doing anything fun, to be honest with you, because I'm kind of stressed. I got a lot of work to do. We got a book to finish. We got a weekend coming up. I'm preaching this Sunday, July 16th at Cross Point Church. If you are in Nashville, I would love for you to come and join us. Nine. 11 and 5.30. We have three services. So just got a busy, busy week. So you know me, I love waking up and thinking of something fun to do. And currently that fun is getting everything finished, putting everything in its right spot in my mind and in my heart and on paper. So that is what I'm going to go do is go give another round of work to my sermon for Sunday. If you're not in Nashville, you'll also be able to watch online, crosspoint.tv backslash live on Sunday, 9, 11, 5.30 Central Standard Time. Those are all my announcements, friends. That's all I have to tell you. That's all that's on my paper. I'm going to go actually call one of my friends and kind of get this conversation started because you're always braver right in the moment, right? So love you guys. Have a great weekend. And I hope you will go out and do something that sounds really, really fun to you today. Like today. Don't wait for tomorrow. Go ahead and do something fun today. Okay? All right. We will see you guys next week.